friends now since he's not a young person really anymore. He's older now. He's, he's moving on from those things. So, But I'm so thankful that he is here with us because he, he is an, an evangelist. He has a heart for people. He is spearheading the, the college campus um, ministry. Uh, it was him and some other people, but, but he's spearheading that, and they're, they're seeing great things. Of course, with COVID, things probably changed a little bit, but I know that those things are getting back in the mix, and so keep that in prayers. But he's, he is hungry for the things of God. He's hungry for uh, people to be saved, and I'm thankful that he's able to be here with us tonight. I'm thankful for his anointing and his ministry in Souls Harbor as a youth leader in Bellevue, as an evangelist. He's doing so many great things. God's using him. But I want this church to be behind him. I, w- I want to be changed tonight. I don't want to go through just a routine Wednesday night. I'm here. I've, I've taken the time. I've showered. I've cleansed my, myself. I've put on nice clothes. We've taken a drive out to church tonight. But let's not let it just go by. Let's actually enjoy the presence of God. Let us lean into the spirit of God. Lean into what he wants to do. Get behind the preacher tonight. In Jesus' name, will you clap your hands unto the Lord as Brother Madison comes to deliver the word. In Jesus' name. Why don't we just continue to give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight? Why don't we just go ahead all across this place, stand to our feet right now? Because we are in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are in the presence of the Savior, the creator of heaven and earth. We are in the presence of God Almighty. In moments like these, we ought not take for granted. We ought not to forget the opportunity that we have to come into the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I love what I feel in this place today. I'm so thankful to be with each and every single one of you. One thing I just love so much about this church is every time I come here, there are faces that I've never seen before. And I love that opportunity to meet new people. I love the opportunity to see a growing church, a thriving church. And so I want to say thank you for letting me come here and be with you tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Give honor to Pastor Daniel and his wife, Sister Lacey out and about. And uh, I miss them. I hope that they come back soon. But with them gone, Maylee and Sam are at my Nana's house a little bit more. So I get to see them a little bit more. And and so I I kind of enjoy that. Uh, Maylee is going to be wanting a skateboard. When, she, when you get back, just letting you know now. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I'm, I'm just so thankful to be here with all of you. And I know that the Lord has something for this service tonight. I know that God has been preparing us. He has been preparing the atmosphere. And I, I feel just such a sweet presence of the Lord. And honestly, we, we could just linger in this right here. I just feel the anointing. I feel the, the presence of God is here. And we could just stay in this. But I know that the Lord has a direction for us. I know that the Lord has a word for us. And without further ado, I'm going to get into this. The Bible says in Mark chapter 41, And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and set before them and the two fishes divided he among them all. Jumping down to verse 44. And they that did eat of the loaves 
were about 5,000 men. We find out in another passage recording the same story that that number does not include the women and the children. So it could be 15,000 more than that. There's no telling how many men and women and children he fed that day. Verse 45, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them and about the fourth watch of the night. He cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship. And the wind ceased and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And I want to preach to you for just a few moments on the topic, troubled waters. Troubled waters. If we could just again unite in prayer as a congregation. Why don't you just lift your hands, close your eyes, and just begin to talk to the Lord for just a second. Ask God to do his will in this place. God, it is not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Anything can happen in this place. I pray that the spirit of Almighty God will continue to move freely and thoroughly as it has already in this place. I pray that the anointing of Almighty God will begin to touch our hearts. I pray that it will begin to open up our minds and begin to expose to us new realities, new dimensions in the spirit. I pray that your perfect will would be done in this place in the name of Jesus Christ and the church said amen. amen we open in a desert place a grassy plain in the middle of nowhere the disciples in Jesus are there teaching and ministering to thousands there are multitudes of people men women and children who have traveled into the midst of nowhere for one reason and one reason only just to get a glimpse of Jesus Christ, just to have a moment with Jesus Christ. God manifest in the flesh. They were craving one opportunity to hear the voice of Jesus. And as time passes, Jesus teaches, the Bible says that he healed all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And let me pause here just to say that if you are here with pain in your body, if you are struggling with a sickness in your body, you can walk out these doors with less pain. You can walk out these doors with no sickness, no pain. You can be completely healed here tonight. And Jesus is working in a way that only Jesus can work. He is speaking to the masses. He is identifying problems in their lives, giving them the solutions. He's teaching parables. He's teaching stories. And he is working miracles. And there comes a moment when the disciples have to interrupt Jesus Christ. They come over to him and they say, Jesus, I, I know that you're all knowing, but just in case, you, you know, the time is slipping away from us. 
and these people, they've been following us for quite a long way, and they're hungry. I'm hungry. You must be hungry. We, we need some food. So, Jesus, why don't you go ahead and disband the masses? Why don't you go ahead and send them on their way? Send them to the closest town so that they can go ahead and buy themselves some dinner. And Jesus says, there's no need to send them away. And I can imagine the look of confusion at the disciples being dumbfounded by the statement of Jesus as he just simply proclaims, give ye them to eat. We are talking about thousands of people, a number that would surpass the people who watched the Super Bowl this past Sunday in the stadium. Only a few thousand were allowed in. And they said if we had $200, we still wouldn't be able to buy enough food. And you just said, give ye them to eat. And he says, what do you have with you? And they respond, well, we, we happened upon five loaves and two fishes. And he says again, give ye them to eat. And the point that I want to make tonight is that life is unfair when you've got God on your side. Because what wisdom would say is we've got to send the people away so they can buy themselves some food. And Jesus would say, just go ahead and distribute the five loaves. Go ahead and pass out the two fishes. And every thousand was filled. And all the men, the women, and children got to eat. Life is simply unfair when you've got Jesus on your side. There is no obstacle the enemy can throw at you. There is no difficulty life can hand you that God does not already have an answer for. The Bible says that if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, say to the mountain, be ye moved and it will obey you. Why would you bother moving a mountain? Because it's easier to go straight across the mountain than to go up and down the mountain. So the path between point A and point B is easier when you've got the faith to move the mountain. You don't got to waste time going up and down. There's no need to waste energy climbing up and down. You can simply move the obstacle and go through where it was. The Egyptians were all too familiar with the unfairness of the fact of God in the Israelite corner. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 10 that Pharaoh said, Come, let us deal wisely with the children of Israel, for they are continuing to grow. They're increasing in number. And if they were to completely surpass us in number, then they could overcome us. So they correctly and wisely said, We ought to place taskmasters over them. But life is just simply unfair when you have God on your side. And the Bible says that as their affliction grew, they multiplied. The very thing that the Egyptians were trying to prevent happened because of their preventative measures. The spirit of Almighty God can go through any obstacle. It does not matter what the affliction is. You can still be blessed. It does not matter what the taskmaster is. You can still multiply and grow. Yeah. 
It's just simply unfair when God is on your side. And he proceeds to feed the 5,000 men plus the women plus the children. And the disciples are the ones distributing this food. They are the ones that Jesus has looked up to heaven, prayed for the food, and proceeded to hand it to. They take this fish and they hand it to the first person and turn back around expecting to see one less fish. And yet there seemed to be more fish than when they first walked away. So they go ahead and grab two loaves and they take it to the next person and give it to them. And when they turn back around, there should have been three loaves, but now there's, now there's ten loaves. And they, they grab a fish and a loaf to hand to this family over here. And when they turn back around, what should have been no loaves and no fishes wound up being 30 fishes and 50 loaves. And as they kept pulling away from it, it just seemed to grow until there was more left over than all the thousands of people couldn't even eat. And having pinned a vessel through with the king, the king of kings, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who need not obey the laws of time, the one who is not having to conform to the laws of physics, these are the vessels through which he decides to distribute the blessing. He straightway, or in other words, immediately commissioned them. He constrained them to get onto the ship and go to the other side. And as these disciples obey the instruction of Jesus Christ, they climb into the ship one by one till all 12 are now on the ship. And they begin to row. And they row and row. And this was not a difficult thing for the disciples to do, the majority of which were fishermen. They were very comfortable on the sea. They were very used to having paddles and oars in their hand. But yet, all of a sudden, worry and concern began to come over them. And they looked just over the horizon and see dark clouds coming in. And I imagine somebody in the back said, hey, guys, we're still closer to the other side than we are to that side. Wisdom would say we should go on back. And probably bold Peter, bold as a lion Peter, no faith lacking Peter, he probably just turned around and said, Jesus sent us across. And with Jesus on our side, life is unfair. There's no reason to worry about the clouds. There's no reason to be concerned with the storm. We are on a mission from Jesus. And the storm gets closer and the, the first few raindrops begin to hit the waters around them. And perhaps James or, or Judas went ahead and said, guys, I, I'm, I'm getting a little nervous over here. My arms are tired and the storm is just now getting in. Should, should we perhaps turn back to where we came? And, and Peter again, or perhaps this time it was John, he proceeded to say, Judas, you fool, just continue rowing. We have been commissioned. We have been sent by Jesus Christ. He's the one who put us in the boat. He's the one who directed the boat. So we will be okay. 
But as more time passes, and I like to imagine splinters begin to make their way into the fingers and the thumbs of the disciples, and the rowing gets a little bit harder. Now the storm is right on top of them. There is no left moonlight. There is no remaining starlight, for the, the clouds above them are too great and too dark to even see the bare light of the night. And they continue to row. All of a sudden, the wind begin to pick up and the rain was no longer falling down it was probably falling directly sideways and the Bible says that they were toiling in their rowing for the wind was contrary to them it means that the wind was directly in their face and they were trying to get to the other side. They are headed to Bethsaida under the instruction, the commandment and the commission of Jesus Christ. But they look around and they realize, guys, we have been rowing for an hour, two, three hours since the storm hit us and we are no closer to the other side than we were before the storm hit us. And my fingers are starting to hurt. My hands are beginning to cramp. And we just can't seem to make any forward progress. And Peter, maybe not quite so bold now. And James, maybe not quite so faith-filled now. Begin to feel worry and concern over the predicament. And then all of a sudden, the boat begins to take on water. And, and now the, the boat is beginning to shake back and forth a little bit more. And things are just getting more torrented and tumultuous. And they just keep rowing, making no forward progress. But what they did not know was that on the shore that they came from, the same one who sent them was watching them. Jesus Christ was on a mountain, having not forgotten about them, but he was simply watching them. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, had not let them go out to their own destruction. He simply sent them out for a storm. The Bible tells us that the fourth watch of the night was come. The night of this time were broken up into four watches from three, I mean from six to nine p.m. was the first watch. From nine to twelve a.m. was the second. From twelve to three was the third. And then from three to six a.m. was the fourth watch. And also notice with me that when Jesus first sent them out and he went to pray, the Bible tells us that the even was come. And the Greek word for even there is the ophias. And what it means when translated to English, it simply means late. And when you begin to dive into what would late mean for that time, we find that it is somewhere between 3 and 6 p.m. So they were sent somewhere between 3 and 6 p.m. And Jesus did not start walking toward them till 3 to 6 a.m. They have been rowing in the middle of a storm all night long. They watch the sun go down and they're about to watch the sun come up having made no progress in the middle of the sea. They've been rowing for 12 hours in the middle of a storm. Can't seem to make progress. Can't seem to move forward. Stuck in the middle of a sea. And here comes Jesus. 
and Jesus comes walking on the water. And the Bible tells us that he went to pass them by. You see, Jesus had no intention of stilling the storm that night. Jesus had no intention of saving the disciples that night. I believe it's because they were never truly in need of saving. They were in God's hand the entire time. They were under God's watchful eye the entire time. And so he went to pass them by in the middle of a storm that he sent them into. He walked by, and probably once he got in alignment with him, he just kind of throwed a little bit more, just kind of curious. Maybe he slowed down just a little bit. There's really no telling. All of a sudden, the disciples look out and see something they certainly did not expect to see. They see a figure. They see some kind of form. It looks humanoid. It looks kind of like a man. I think I can see two legs and two arms and that looks like the face of a man but yet there's really no telling and fear that they have been feeling through the whole night dealing with the storm and the concern that they have been trying to paddle through through the entire night has gripped them and they cry out with fear thinking that it is a spirit. And Jesus says to them, be not afraid, be of good cheer, it is I. There's no reason to worry, I'm here. There's no reason for concern, I'm here. There's no reason to run, I'm here. Because life is unfair when God is on your side. And all of a sudden, the the wind that prevented them from making forward progress, it ceased. And the rain that was hitting them in the eye, preventing them from seeing, it stopped. And the cloud that was covering up the skies, it went away. And here they are now, in the middle of a peaceful sea, in the middle of a quiet, silent night, with Jesus Christ on board. And first and foremost, let me tell you that if you can get Jesus Christ on board, you'll be okay. Because when God is in the boat, the boat is going to be okay. When God is in the boat, the boat's not going to sink. That's why the Bible says that two men built a house, one on sand, one on the rock. And when the rains came and it hit the house built on sand, it fell. But when the rains came and hit the house built on the rock, it was still And the house on the rock was a house built on Jesus Christ. And so the rain that came and destroyed the neighbor's house, it's here just around your house. Your house will still be standing if you're built on Jesus. Just pray for just a second. Oh, just lift your hands and pray for just a moment. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. See what the disciples did not understand. That the same Jesus who sustained them that uh, the day before was the same Jesus who sent them. Why would God sustain them if he intended to destroy them? Why would God feed them if he intended to sink them? 
He was sending them out to a storm that he was going to allow them to weather. He was going to allow them to endure. And I believe that the disciple did not realize just how close the storm was to coming to an end. Because as I said, Jesus came to them at the fourth watch of the night, 3 to 6 a.m. The sun is just about to rise over the horizon to chase the storm away. But the disciples got so consumed with their present predicament that they forgot about a powerful Savior who had sent them. They got so obsessed with their current situation, their current problem was the only thing they could focus on, that they forgot that Jesus was the one who sent them into that problem. And thus, if Jesus sent you into a problem, that means he has a plan for your problem. In Psalm chapter 23, David says of the Lord, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He says this not simply as an individual who had no relation to a shepherd. He said it as a shepherd. He knew the dynamic of the relationship between sheep and shepherd. He wrote it as a man who was willing to run in to do hand-to-hand combat with a bear. He wrote it as a man who knew as a shepherd, when one of my sheep goes missing, I'm willing to force open the the jaws of a lion in order to save that sheep. And so if he called the Lord a savior, I ask you, how much more is the Lord able to do as a shepherd? If David was able to battle battle a lion and a bear, what can God battle for his sheep? What is God willing to fight for a sheep? He says, I shall not want so long as the Lord is my shepherd. My needs will be provided. So long as the Lord is my shepherd, I will have no wants. He says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside the still waters. The Lord will always provide for his flock. He will never abandon his flock. He will see to it that they lie down in green pastures and that they have still water to drink from. But yet sheep eat grass from the root up. They consume the entire root, not allowing the grass to grow again. So that means that any pasture a flock of sheep have been made to lie down in, they will eventually consume. And what was once a green pasture will become a sandy desert. And the Bible says he maketh me to lie down beside the still waters. Still waters mean that it's not running. It's not being replenished. So a flock of sheep invading a paradise of green pastures and still waters will eventually consume the green grass and will drink the entirety of the water. And what was once a paradise, what was once your comfort and your place of rest, the grass had been consumed, the water had been drunk, and there's nothing here anymore. There's nothing but an empty pond and sand all around. What now? And that's why verse 3, he says, he he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He is leading me to the next green pasture and he's taking me to the next still waters. 
Yes, I know that my old still waters are gone. I know that what used to be a green pasture is gone. But the Lord is still my shepherd. So he's going to make me to lie down in green pastures. He's going to lead me beside still waters. And sometimes the path to the next pasture is to a valley of a shadow of death. Which is why David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David, why do you find yourself in that valley? Well, I don't know why I'm here. The Lord has led me here. He's taking me to the next pasture, to the next still waters. And I guess that's why I'm here. Because the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. Right? And so we cannot begin to understand the direction to the next green pasture because to the next green pasture you have to go through the, whoo, he leadeth me, oh, come on, somebody, through the paths of righteousness. So when we rely on our righteousness, we will not find the green pastures and we will not find the still waters. That's why we've got to rely on his righteousness to lead us to the green pastures, to lead us to the still waters. And sometimes you look around and see nothing but the valley of the shadow of death. But so long as the Lord is your shepherd, he's not forsaken nor forgotten you. He's leading you through. So the purpose of your struggle can be found in that God is taking you from miracle to miracle. That God is leading you from, from productivity to productivity, from success to success. But in order to go from success to success, you must experience a little bit of pain or else it was not success. There was nothing that you overcame in order to get to your next overcoming moment. And let me just say this. In verse number four, he said, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the rod and the staff was not a chew toy or some plush animal or some plush... I'm sorry. It was not a toy for the sheep to enjoy. But rather, it was for correction of the sheep. And so the rod and the staff was not something to take comfort in. Unless you recognize that the correction and the sting of a rod and a staff is an indication that the shepherd is still near. As long as you can still feel the sting of a rod and the sting of a staff, you're still within arm's reach of a shepherd. And so that's why I take joy and comfort when my pastor corrects me. That's why I take satisfaction and joy when I receive a rebuking. It's not because the rebuking is fun. It's not because correction is fun. It's because I know I'm still next to the shepherd. I'm still close to my pastor. I'm still close to my provider. The one that's going to satisfy my wants and satisfy my needs. So 
so I take comfort in sting. I take comfort in pain. Because you see, if as a sheep, I'm going from pasture to pasture, that leaves the opportunity to become distracted and preoccupied by patches. And a patch is not as sustaining as a pasture. It's limited. It's small. But yet as a sheep, if I've not been in a pasture in a while, I see a patch and I get excited and I begin to eat the patch and forget I'm supposed to stay with the flock. And so the flock continues on and leaves me behind with nothing but a patch. And that's why I desire to feel the correction of a rod and a staff because it tells me I didn't get stuck behind with a patch of grass. And we're in the valley of a shadow of death. You don't want to be left alone here. We're in the valley of a shadow of death. You don't want to be left behind here. So take pain, take joy, take joy in the correction of a rod and a staff. Joseph was a sheep. We are all sheep. And Joseph was a sheep who at one point in his life uh, got to enjoy green pastures and got to drink from still waters. But the next thing Joseph knew, he received dreams and visions from God. And all of a sudden, he looks around to take another bite. And he goes over to the pond to get another drink. And it's just not there anymore. And all of a sudden, he, he's been moved out of that place that he once was. He's been sold into slavery. He's now working in Potiphar's house. The waters that God had set Joseph in were beginning to be troubled. They were beginning to be shaken. The wind was beginning to come in. And the metaphorical boat that Joseph preoccupied it probably made what seemed like a little less progress than it was a few months ago. And he's working hard and he's rising up to the top. He thinks he's found the next green pasture. He believes he is now in the next still waters. But yet now, due to no sin of his own, due to something he tried to run away from, he is now in prison. And the still waters are gone, and the pastures are gone, and the waters become even more troubled as Joseph metaphorically continues to row under the instruction and direction of God. He continues to row, but his progress becomes slowed. His progress becomes slowed. And then the Lord makes a way. It seems like he could see a, a small part in the stormy clouds. It seems like he can see sunlight beginning to break through as dreams occur to fellow prisoners. And they tell him the dreams. He interprets them. And he sees them as his way out of prison. He says, listen, don't forget me when you go back to Pharaoh. Don't forget me when you go back. And yet he is forgotten. He has now spent years in slavery. He has now spent years in prison, forgotten, cast out. No one has acknowledged him, but God has still watched him. And all of a sudden, 
the storm clouds do part. All of a sudden, 3 to 6 a.m. comes. The sun comes over the horizon and chases the storm away. And he is now second in command for all of Egypt. He is now Pharaoh's right-hand man. And here come his brothers. He reveals himself to them in the midst of a famine. And they are scared for their lives. And in Genesis chapter 45, verses 5 through 8, we see the purpose of the troubled waters that Joseph went through. The Bible says, Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves, for God did send me to preserve your life. The purpose behind the storm that I went through to get to the other side of the sea was that I might make a way for my family behind me. So that I might make a way of salvation for my family behind me. And the Bible says, God sent me before you to preserve you and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that hath sent me hither, but God. Can I tell you that you find yourself in the middle of a storm, rowing, having not made any progress. Yet I can tell you that this is a God storm because there's someone behind you that is coming after you that you are making a way for. There might be a family member behind you. There might be a co-worker behind you. That God is using you to make a way for. So be not weary and well-doing. Don't stop rowing the boat. Though the splinters might make your hand bloody. Don't stop rowing the boat. Though your cramps might make the oars heavy. Don't stop rowing the boat. Go ahead and stand with me all across this place. There are people who are going through troubled waters. But I'm telling you that the sun is just over the horizon. Salvation is just over the horizon. You want to know how your storm is a God storm that he sent you into? Your boat is still pointed in the right direction. And against all odds, against all understanding, the boat still floats. They've been taking on water for 12 hours. They probably should have capsized a long time ago. But God was still with them. They may not have seen him in the boat yet, but he had not forgotten them. So I'm telling you right now, the storm you're in is an indication that God intends to use you for someone behind you. Just lift your hand, begin to talk to God. Just begin to talk to God right now. Hatch it right there. This is the rest wherein the weary shall rest. I've not come and preached a, a storm stopping message. I've come and preached a storm enduring message. Sometimes you find yourself in a storm you just got to endure, not be delivered from. In the name of Jesus, this altar is open. I'm reaching out to some fellow disciples 
who are stuck in a boat with no progress why don't you make your way to an altar the bible says this is the rest wherein the weary shall rest i want you to be encouraged in your storm not downtrodden nor forgotten David says in thy presence there is fullness of joy. If you've been feeling downtrodden, forgotten about, sad and weary, it's in his presence there's fullness of joy. someone behind you that's relying on you and someone coming after that's depending on you there are family members who are counting on you